When one compares World Health Organization recommendations on childbirth to U.S. statistics, American mothers appear uh, to be largely dependent upon the healthcare industry for what is otherwise a routine aspect of life. Are U.S. Uh, mothers simply privileged with their access to health care, or are they the victims of what has been dubbed the maternity industrial complex, where dependency upon medicine places the cost of each childbirth in the tens of thousands? Joining us today is Susan Hodges, an activist for midwifery since 1985. She's the founder and current president of Citizens for Midwifery, a national grassroots organization promoting the midwives model of care. She's a member of the U.S. Birth Practices Committee of the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services, a member of the Consumer Panel of the Cochrane Collaborations Pregnancy and Childbirth Group, and she was a consumer member of NARM's Certification Task Force from 94 to 1996, uh, which created the certificate, certified, I should say, professional midwife credential. Uh, her two children were born at home with midwives, and uh, she has presented at many workshops and talks and uh, has publications, including a consumer viewpoint Challenges for birth-related research, and uh, Susan joins us on the line. Good morning. Good morning. That's quite a quite a bio you got there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me on your program. No, it's uh, I'm I'm glad to have you. Why don't uh, we begin for for some of the listeners out there? Um, you know, it, it, it's funny that uh, midwifery is uh, is a long tradition, but it seems that uh, most Americans are probably unfamiliar with exactly what midwifery is. So let's start off with the basics. What is midwifery? And am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes, that's fine. Um, well, Citizens for Midwifery, because we're a consumer organization, we realized early on that what was most important was the kind of care a mother received as opposed to the initials after the name of the care provider. So we talk about the midwives model of care and there's a lot of midwives that provide this kind of care. However, it's much more uh, difficult for midwives working in hospitals to provide this kind of care. So basically it includes, um, it, you know, it's based on the fact that pregnancy and birth are normal life processes. And the care includes uh, monitoring physical, psychological, and social well-being of the mother throughout the childbearing cycle, so prenatal through postpartum, uh, providing the mother with individualized education, counseling, and prenatal care, and continuous hands-on assistance to the extent that she wants it during labor and delivery and postpartum support, minimizing technological interventions, and identifying and referring women who have conditions that do need uh, medical attention. Um, I think a really key aspect that's embedded in this is respect for the birth process and respect for the mother and baby. What? Uh, in, in the United States, things get a little bit confusing because we have two main categories of midwives. There are nurse midwives who've gone through nursing training and then are advanced practice nurses in the area of, of midwifery, and the vast majority of them practice in hospitals, and they do provide wonderful care for many women. They can't always provide this kind of care in the hospital setting. And then there are midwives who learned midwifery through schools or through learning from other midwives, a whole variety of programs, um, often referred to as direct entry midwives. And many of these in the United States now have the certified professional midwife credential, which has standards and testing requirements. And these midwives are licensed in um, about 24 states now, including California. What are, these midwives practice almost exclusively outside of the hospital. 
home birth, and birth center birth. What are the advantages of uh, using a midwife over, say, an OBGYN? Well, if you are a, a normally healthy person without any serious underlying medical conditions, which that includes um, probably 90% of us, using a midwife means you are much less likely to have unnecessary interventions. You are much more likely to be provided lots more information and education prenatally and even during labor, and you are less, much less likely to have a cesarean section. Um, I even have some numbers for that. Yeah, you know, the computer in the studio doesn't have uh, Adobe Acrobat, so the, <laughs> the chart, yeah, the one out in the lobby, which I'd love to run to if I could, but uh, so the, oh. the chart comparing World Health Organization recommendations to uh, U.S. childbirth isn't coming up, but if you could um, well, maybe read from that or give us other statistics, that would be great. Sure. Um, just to talk about cesarean sections, um, for low-risk hospital births, um, in other words, not counting cesarean sections that are performed on women that had medical conditions that really required them but were low-risk when they started labor. In the United States, the rate um, in 2000 was 19%. It's probably a little higher than that now. And in three different studies, um, two with certified nurse midwives, in home birth practices and in freestanding birth centers and home births with certified professional midwives, the rate ranged from about 3 to 4.5%. So that's a, a quarter or a fifth the uh, risk of a cesarean section if you have a home birth or, or a uh, birth with a midwife. So could you, I'm sorry, could you say that again? So you're suggesting that when uh, childbirths occur in a hospital, there's, there's a higher likelihood of yes. uh, cesarean than when childbirths occur in an, uh, I believe your website refers to it as an out-of-hospital setting. Correct, correct. And, and, that, and we're talking all low-risk women. So you walk into the hospital or you walk into your birth center and you're low-risk and your chances of ending up with a cesarean are four or five times as great when you walk into the hospital as they are when you walk into the birth center or your home. And why, why do you suppose that is? Well, in, a hospital is an institution. A hospital is designed to treat sick people. Pregnant people are not sick. Pregnant women who are going through labor are uh, going through a, a complex but very normal physiological process that involves emotions, that involves a cascade of hormones that sets off all the different aspects of labor happening. Um, when you walk in the hospital, the hospital has routines and protocols and the way things are done, the way doctors were taught or nurses were taught, which may have nothing to do with what's good for the mother and baby and may have everything to do with how smoothly the hospital runs. So you take a woman who's in this process, you know, when you go to the zoo and the <clears throat> gorilla is about to have babies, do they let people walk in and watch? No, they seclude the, the gorilla and they keep it quiet and dark and let the mother have privacy because your body works better that way for something like giving birth. So everything that's done to the woman from the moment she walks in the hospital potentially and often does disturb the normal physiological process of birth. And then it slows down, it doesn't go as quickly, so then the doctors want to hurry things up and they use drugs and then it's a cascade of interventions. And each intervention has its own risks of further complications. So by the time you get to that cesarean, it may very well appear to be necessary, but you have to look at what was done to the woman prior to that. And some examples are use of drugs to augment labor, 
which makes the labor pains very extreme, and then you need an epidural, and that slows things down and has a whole other, other set of things that can happen to the mother or baby as a result. And while it's safe in, in some sense and the, and, and the baby usually can be rescued and the mother can be rescued, people don't talk about that. They just talk like epidurals or nothing, but they do cause problems. And um, another aspect is even if you don't have an epidural, just being able to get up and walk around or be in an upright position to give birth, um, the typical position we see on TV and magazines is mom is laying back in the bed, her knees are pulled up, everybody's screaming at her to push, and she's getting red in the face, you know, popping her eyes out trying to push. Well, it's the worst possible position for the mother and for the baby for pushing a baby out. And the baby can go into distress and the mother can have problems and then you bring in all the technology and surgery, et cetera. So it's a pathway. Now let's, let's explore that a little bit. First of all, I want to remind listeners that uh, they're in tune to KUCI in Irvine. This is Justice or Just Us. We're speaking with Susan Hodges from Citizens for Midwifery. Um, you had talked about the idea that uh, hospitals are used for sick people and that uh, certainly pregnant uh, pregnant women are not sick, which is really interesting because I think uh, looking over your website and, and some of uh, your literature, and we should let uh, certainly let listeners know that they could go to CF, as in Citizens for Midwifery.org, and uh, see a number of articles and uh, advocacy tools that are in, incredibly referenced, which uh, is really one of the strengths of your website. Thank you. Um, you it talks about the fact that... Um, Pregnancy has become, I don't know if you use the word co-opted, but I'll use it, by, by the medical model. Um, talk about that, and why is the medical model bad for pregnancy? <laughs> well, um, I think it's, yeah, it helps to think about this, the medical model and the midwife's model. And then the medical model, um, which various authors have described in various ways, but basically looks at childbirth as a, a disaster waiting to happen, requiring medical management all the way through, or it's terribly dangerous. Um, it's fear-based. It, it objectifies the process and the mother. It undermines her confidence. There's a need to control the process. And the midwife's model care, in contrast, has respect for the process and for the mother, looks at childbirth as a normal physiological process, but also has emotional and social um, aspects to it that are very important. And it's one of the great important events that happens in a woman's life. And there's other great things that can happen too, but if you have a baby, that's a life-changing event. Um, and so instead of managing the birth, the, the midwife will support the birth process and provide emotional support to the mother and baby. So, for example, the midwife, when your mother's struggling with labor and the midwife is there saying, you're doing a great job, you're almost there, you're doing great, and the doctor's coming in and saying, oh, you haven't made much progress, you've got to make another centimeter in half an hour, we're going to cut you open. Okay, you see the... Sure. Contrast. Sure. Now, obviously not all obstetricians are that obnoxious, but the system is set up to support management and interference with the normal process in the hospital. And on top of that, the whole legal and economic system that we have for health care in this country is set up to support more intervention rather than less. And I want to explore those, but uh, before we do, let's just... just uh make sure we see precisely what's going on, because I think you, you open up a, a, a number of, of questions. Could you cite those statistics, the most recent statistics, to, um, comparing World Health Organization recommendations on childbirth to the United States, if you have that in front of you? Sure. 
Um, the World Health Organization recommends that midwives be the care provider for normal pregnancy and birth, but um, in 2004, only 7.9% of births in the United States were attended by midwives. So again, for listeners, the, now what does that mean? Let's just make sure. What does that mean when we say World Health Organization recommendation? Now, first of all, World Health Organization, that's a, a, an office of the United Nations. Is that correct? Right. Uh, of the, yes. And it's, um, I believe so. And they did a report. Um, it was back in 1985 on appropriate technology for birth. But those recommendations have stood. And so by recommendations, that's what they would consider, for lack of a better word, the norm or, or, or routine? Well, what should be the norm or the routine. And yes. so, well, so again, they recommend midwives, and yet in the United States you said it's only about 8%. Yes, and in the United States, for example, we have about um, maybe 7,500 midwives and 42,000 obstetricians. Wow. Okay. okay, what are some of the others? Um, place of birth. World Health Organization recommends out-of-hospital prefer preferred in the United States. 99% of births take place in a hospital. The um, World Health Organization uh, for fetal monitoring, electronic fetal monitoring, says should not be routinely done. Um, the, the U.S. government doesn't even report that statistic anymore. Um, but a recent survey um, indicated, I believe, I had it written down here, something like 94% of women are electronically fetal monitored while they're in labor. And, is, is, and that's is not that... associated with any improvement in outcome. A fetal monitoring provides a legal record for the physician. It usually results in more, more cesarean sections because of false uh, interpretations of the monitor strip, and it... it immobilizes the woman who's being monitored. Now, for a, for a, a single guy here, the, the, is that what's meant by ultrasound? or? Um, it's a type of ultrasound. It uses ultrasound, but it, um, it requires the mother to wear a big um, belt snugly around her belly to pick up the sounds of the heartbeat of the baby. Okay. Um, and different people will interpret the same strip differently not a science. And we'll get to that legal, okay. that legal argument. But so then clearly when one compares, oh, and then what about pain? Um, okay. That's, that's the big one. World Health Organization recommends not routinely using pain relief drugs in labor, but 80% of more of women in the United States are given drugs for pain relief. In fact, there are other forms of pain relief that do not involve drugs, all of which affect the baby, but you're not usually told that, uh, which are not widely used in this country. Um, in particular, having a trained birth attendant, labor attendant with you, um, often called a doula during labor, who, who does not do exactly what a midwife does, although they overlap somewhat, but she provides uh, comfort measures, emotional encouragement, all kinds of stuff during labor. And in studies, they have found that women who have a doula with them um, who may only sit there and hold her hand and say, there, there, it's okay, have less pain and shorter labors. Now let's explore some of this because mm -hmm. I, I spoke to you before, uh, before the interview and told you that I've got uh, friends pressuring me on both sides to, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to ask certain questions. So what, first of all, what, why would the World Health Organization not recommend pain 
relief. I mean, they, they're not not recommending pain relief. They're not recommending drugs for pain relief. Okay, there's a big difference. Okay, um, uh, there are there are so many comfort measures that can be taken. There's two ways of looking at this. One is many many women. I don't have the number. Something around 50 percent are given drugs in the hospital to stimulate labor. Labor that has been artificially stimulated with drugs is more painful than normal labor, and nobody will, um, you know, that's, everybody understands that. I mean, your body so knows. women and hospital staff even have this picture now that labor is excruciatingly painful. Normal physiological labor that's not being rushed, where the mother has uh, emotional support, she can get in water, she can move around, she can eat and drink, she can be with her loved one, she can have privacy she wants, all of those things help the mother go through labor without being so in pain that she needs drugs for pain relief. Now, nobody is saying somebody who's in real pain should not get drugs for pain relief if they really need it, but they need to know, they need to have the complete information about the risks associated with that and decide if it's worth it or not. For example, most women don't know that 20% of women on epidurals run a fever. The hospital staff has no way to determine whether the fever is because the woman has an infection and the baby is being exposed to an infection or because she's reacting to the epidural. So when the mother runs a fever, the newborn in most hospitals is immediately whisked away for a complete septic workup, including a spinal tap, IV antibiotics, etc., because they think the baby might have been exposed to a bacterium. I talked to a mother a few weeks ago who called me and said, that this had happened to her, and two and a half weeks after the birth, she and her baby were still struggling with breastfeeding. She said, if anybody had told me there was a chance in a million that this would happen, I would never have had the epidural. It wouldn't have been worth it to see what my babies had to go through. Mm. So a piece of this is information, and, and although we're supposed to get informed consent for everything, there's a um, recent surveys have shown there's a real lack of accurate information being given to women. So on the one hand, we're not getting good information from our care providers, and on the other hand, we're reading PR articles in popular magazines about how wonderful epidurals are and how terrible birth is without them, when that's not really the whole picture. So what I would suggest is before a woman makes up her mind about whether she wants pain relief or not, she should do a lot more self-educating about the whole process of birth, about what happens in hospitals, about what happens outside of hospitals, about the risks associated with the drugs, both for pain relief and for um, the um, augmentation of labor, and find a care provider who will, who will work with her and not do the things that are not necessary. Induction of labor and speeding up of labor is never a medical emergency. It's always for convenience. It seems that the, your body knows best. I mean, and so to... Think. <laughs> well, one would think. I mean, you yeah. know, I, it, it's an interesting topic for me because I'm kind of a... Yeah. A, um, and, I, I don't have any stake in the, in the right. issue at this stage. And I think the other thing is if a woman is pregnant and she's around people who are saying, oh, birth is so terrible and telling her all horror stories about how terrible it is, and the doctor and staff at the hospital saying, oh... You know, you think you're hurting now, wait, you know, and just undermining any confidence she has in her ability to do it, she's going to get pain. No, pain me... She's going to get drugs for pain relief. If she surrounds herself with people who say, 
yes, birth can really happen, and it's wonderful, and it's really hard work, and it's the hardest thing you'll ever do, but you really can do it, and we'll be here with you, and you can get in the water, and you can do this, and you can do that. That woman is going to start believing that her body will work, and her body will tell her what she needs to do, and the baby will come out. And yes, it's hard work. It's not called labor for nothing. And it is, does it hurt? Yes, it hurts for most people. I mean, some people have painless childbirth, and I don't know as much about that. But it's not something you can't do. But if you start messing around with it and have people coming and going and threatening you and offering drugs or giving you drugs, that's going to be a problem. Now, what about the out let of... Me, let oh. me say one other thing about sure. that. What most people don't realize is the... Everybody's heard of adrenaline, right? You get a rush of adrenaline when you're, like, really frightened or really anxious or upset about something. Sure. Okay. Biochemically, adrenaline counteracts the, the hormones that are causing your uterus to contract and your cervix to open. Okay? So the old wives' tale about the woman's in labor and she goes to the hospital and her labor stops, that's why. So what do you think happens when... The woman is struggling, and the doctor comes in and says, oh, you're, you're, you're not going very fast here. You know, we better do something. You think that's going to help her open up and have this baby? I wouldn't think so. <laughs> I wouldn't think so either. So, if you know, if you educate yourself so that you understand more about the physiological process of birth, then you can figure out where is a good place and who is a good provider to be with you to have the birth that you want. We're speaking with Susan Hodges from Citizens for Midwifery. One, uh, one last question on that, and let's get into the, the economics and sure. the, the legal uh, factors, which uh, I know that we've talked about uh, mm-hmm. previously. Um, one of uh, my dear friends, she uh, during delivery, they discovered that the umbilical cord was wrapped around the neck of, of her child. Mm-hmm. And she says, you see, you see, that's... That's one argument for for childbirth in a hospital because if if there's something wrong, you've got that extra. Um, well, let's use the metaphor security blanket. You know, so um, how do you respond to that? Well, there's several things. One is lots of babies have cords wrapped around the neck. I don't know the exact frequency, but it's not an infrequent event. And midwives are trained, and in most cases, um, you can slip the loop over the baby's head where you actually sort of somersault the baby through the loop as the baby's born. And in most cases, it's not a serious problem. And midwives are trained to deal with that problem. The second point is, in the hospital, they may not be any better equipped to deal with it than they are at home in terms of delivering the baby with the cord around its neck. It's not something that you can see ahead of time. A third point is, what people really don't understand is having your baby in the hospital is very different from having your baby outside of the hospital, and it's not just whether there's machines and equipment down the hall to rescue your baby. It's a totally different experience. I don't know if um, any of you or your listeners are familiar with homeschooling, um, but it's uh, very analogous. If you've never seen school except what happens in a public school and you and you think that and that homeschooling is like doing public school at home, you have no idea about homeschooling. It's totally different. Right. Same goes with the birth experience. So if you look at, um, there was a large study done, um, all the births in the United States and some in Canada by certified professional midwives in the year 2000. 
so there were 15,000, I'm looking at my notes here, and I, uh, 5,418 women. And in, they had the planned home birth over um, the, oh, I'm sorry, I'm choking up over here. Very few, there were very, very few emergencies that where the mothers were transported, for example, for postpartum hemorrhage or for a problem with the baby. And in, in none of those was it a life-threatening emergency. Well, and one of the statistics that, um, that your, your uh, website notes is that 27 countries have lower infant mortality rates than the United States, which, which is pretty shocking. Yes. And, and not only that, but, they, but it's been getting worse. There, according to one paper that was on the um, Centers for Disease Control website, the U.S. ranked 11th internationally in 2002, but 28th in 2005. So the dependence upon the, the uh, medical industry has not necessarily made uh, childbirth any more routine or safe in the United States. Right. And to be fair, there's many factors that affect this. And for example, also um, more babies in the United States are being born prematurely and more babies are being born at a low birth weight. And the, the few studies that I've read that have looked at it suggest that midwives do a lot better um, because they spend much more time prenatally with mothers and helping them understand, you know, lifestyle issues, nutrition, exercise, and so forth that actually help those mothers have full-term, full-weight babies. Well, let's take a so, look. So oh, I'm sorry. This is a, just a difference in pre, um, prenatal—excuse me, prenatal care, where midwives, especially out-of-hospital midwives, tend to spend much more time with women and be much more effective helping them have a healthy pregnancy, whereas prenatal care that's done through hospitals and through um, um, obstetrical practices tends to be uh, much lighter weight and not as effective. Um, they don't spend very much time with women and provide individualized care like that. Well, when we, I think you've you've done a good job of making the case that <laughs> uh, that hospitals are are certainly not necessarily the gold standard um, on on childbirth, and then all for, of the for healthy women for healthy women. Right, they uh, can be lifesavers for women with medical problems, etc. So, I want to stick that in there. Right, and, <laughs> and then all of the accoutrements that, that go with it. So then let's take a look at maybe the reasons why there's uh, so few uh, midwives in, in the United States. There's uh, some of the facts that uh, you sent me. There are over 4 million births each year in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, childbirth ranks number four in terms of hospital expenses. Um, 30% of births in the U.S., uh, are C-sections, um, and it, it, it goes on and on. There's, there's certainly uh, a lot of money to be made um, by the healthcare industry in, um, in hospital childbirths. Yes. What influence do you think the healthcare industry has in creating the perception that uh, hospitals are the way to go? What role does the, does the medical system have? Yes. Well, I think that there's certainly um, the tendency to maintain the status quo. You know, nobody who has a job wants to say, well, my, my job is worthless, so <laughs> you shouldn't come to me. You know, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists is essentially a trade union for obstetricians, so they promote obstetricians, and they make pronouncements, and they're considered an authority, so people accept them. Um, I think that... 
it, you can't, though, just blame a single profession or a single entity. There's a whole system involved, in it, and it's like a train with no brakes. So you have hospitals that are institutions. You have obstetricians that work in them. You have staff. You have anesthesiologists. You have the NICU unit, the neonatal intensive care units and hospitals. You have um, the uh, pharmaceutical end of things. You have labs. You have all these different pieces. Who pays for all of this, and how does it all work out? Well, if you have a midwife attending a normal birth in a hospital, she's letting labor go on, you know, on its own timetable. She's not using interventions. The mother's not getting any drugs. Nobody's getting reimbursed for any of that either. On the other hand, if the hospital, and, and hospitals have been squeezed in a lot of ways, and they're trying to watch their bottom lines. If they can be more efficient, then they can have more births happening in less time, and they get reimbursed for each of those births, then they're going to make more money. Hmm. Okay? So one way to do that is to control when and how fast labor happens. So you have this huge rise of inductions. You have big rise in cesarean sections, in, in part because you're inducing women that aren't ready to be induced yet. You're using drugs with all their complications. You you have um, this high level of electronic fetal monitoring, which totally cannot be justified with any improvement in the outcomes, but it allows one nurse to monitor a whole bunch of women in separate rooms because you can have a central place where all the fetal monitors feed into. Do you see the connections here? Sure. Okay, so the more efficient and the more extra billing you can do, well, if you can send the baby to the NICU unit, that's extra billable income and the different departments of hospitals have different um, some of them are more profitable than others and I'm not an expert on this and obviously not every hospital is exactly the same and reimbursement is different in different states but in general you, if you can be more efficient and if you can do more billable procedures you know that's good for the hospital not good for the mother and baby and has nothing to do with whether you know how is this good for the mother and baby or not and we certainly can't uh, separate the the legal industry or the insurance industry. Uh, Absolutely not. Um, so we've we've, and I'm not going to point a finger and blame, but I, people can probably figure it out. But we've gotten to a place where everybody thinks if there's anything wrong with the baby, then it was somebody's fault, and so we'll sue them. Uh, in you know, a liability or malpractice insurance is supposed to do um, a bunch of things, and right now the system isn't doing any of them. It, there's no good system for providing money for families to take care of an injured baby that may need lifelong care. So one one way to try and get that is through the doctor. Most of the lawsuits are settled, either thrown out or settled out of court. The doctors that really are making mistakes often are not... Um, 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 punished is the you know are not dealt with they're not addressed and the information is not public so you know a doctor's been you don't you can't find out a doctor's been making a lot of errors and choose somebody else to go to so the whole system doesn't work but it has ended up uh, among other things driving up uh, liability insurance rates and and there's also the stock market's been involved with that et cetera et cetera but if a doctor gets a hugely increased bill. He's got to sit down, he or she, and figure out how they're going to pay this bill. And I talked to an obstetrician who said, yeah, you get this bigger bill, and you figure out, well, I've got to do 10 more births and three more of this and four more of that on top of what I'm already doing just to pay the added bill. And how am I going to do that many births? I can't labor sit. 
25 births in a month, so some of them got to be cesareans. And this obstetrician said to me, it's very easy to convince somebody they need a cesarean. Hmm. Well, we're running a little short on time, but I, and I thank you. I think you're staying a little longer than I had asked, so I, I hope you're okay with time. I'm, I'm fine, but can I end up with just a couple of suggestions for people? Absolutely, but I, we're, we're, I'm asking if could you stay a little longer. Oh, absolutely. Okay, great. Not a problem. Well, let me throw in one question, and then uh, please, by all means. It, 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 one of the things that I've noticed is um, there seems to be, I, I don't know if I'm characterizing this uh, appropriately, but maybe you would understand more, but... There seems to be a stigma attached to uh, expectant mothers who go with midwives that they're, I don't know, it's, it's trendy or they're, they're naive or, you know, as, as we talked about earlier, well, oh, it's so painful, it's so painful. You sing this tune now, but when, when you go into labor, do you understand, the, I guess my question is, is there that kind of stigma, or how do you characterize well, that? How do you overcome might be, that? Well, but I might not, maybe I'm not somebody who walks in those circles. Um, I think maybe there are some women who have um, planned cesareans, or uh, the very few, very few that do um, ask for them, or, or the ones that want their epidural in the parking lot may feel stigmatized by those of us who don't want to do those things. I really believe that Every woman needs to have the opportunity to be educated on all the pros and cons and make her own decisions about what she needs to do because I'm, I don't walk in someone else's shoes. And one of the reasons that I've really worked all these years to promote midwifery and, and what can we say, normal birth, is because it's becoming increasingly difficult, even for the relatively few women who are searching for that, to have access to it. And that's not correct. That's not right. I would like to see the midwife's model of care be the model of care because you could treat birth as a normal event and respect women, even who have medical problems or are in the, are in the hospital. We hear stories all the time of women just being treated horribly when they're, when they're pregnant and laboring in hospitals for whatever reason. And that's not right either. So I think there's um, – it's really – not a matter of saying everybody should do this or everybody should do that or you're weird or you're horrible because you do one thing or another. It's really what we're really working for is that women are empowered to educate themselves and to make their own decisions about what they need and, and have access to it. And right now there's a lot of women who would like to have their babies with midwives and they, they, there are no midwives in their areas. So advocacy is part uh, of what you do. Um, I think we had talked about there are a handful of states where there are is it licensed or certified midwives who can um, work in a medical or, or hospital setting. Could you, could you talk about that? Well, um, nurse midwives work primarily in hospital settings in every state. Certified professional midwives are licensed in 24 states. Well, direct entry midwives, most of whom are certified professional midwives, as the states have enacted licensing laws over time, things have changed. So for simplicity's sake, 24 states essentially license or regulate um, certified professional midwives. At this time, there may be one or two that are in the country that are working in a hospital, but I don't know about them. Okay. In general, the the medical 
the official medical system and the legal system has not embraced licensed midwives with open arms. And then does that mean that uh, health insurance uh, or managed care doesn't cover the, the it, expenses of midwives? It varies a lot from state to state, from insurance company to insurance company. Sometimes midwives that aren't even licensed will get reimbursed, and other times licensed midwives are refused reimbursement. Go figure. So then you talked about having some recommendations, and if you could also talk about um, your, your advocacy or activism, what, uh, what does Citizens for Midwifery work for? Well, Citizens for Midwifery is, um, was the, the first in, um, consumer-based organization, grassroots organization, to support midwives and midwifery. And what we've done is really act as a, as a networking center for groups in the various states that are working on changing um, statutes or getting better regulations, et cetera, and also as a public education um, tool, you know, providing materials to start reaching out to people that haven't heard about midwives before. So that's, that's we don't go out and lobby state laws. We're more of an umbrella um, national organization. But we also um, collaborate with other organizations in the country that are, may not be consumer-based, but are working for the same ends. So for for a woman who uh, finds out that she's uh, she's expecting a child and is trying to make sense of uh, of everything we've discussed, what uh, this has been great for me because I'm learning I'm learning so much I'm in the the, the seat of uh, of a student so um, uh, what what would you say to her where should she begin um, in in weighing her options and figuring out what's best for her okay the the for somebody who's pregnant or thinks they might become pregnant, the, the number one first thing to do is to educate yourself. And besides the Citizens for Midwifery website, which has links to other sites as well as a lot of articles, there are two other websites I would especially recommend. One of them is childbirthconnection.org, www.childbirthconnection.org, um, which has the Listening to Mothers survey. It has what every pregnant woman should know about cesarean section. It's all evidence-based materials, all, you know, cited but written for the general public. Highly recommend all the material on their website. And the other website is um, www.motherfriendly.org. And this is the website of the Coalition for Improving Maternity Services. And they also have... Um, fact sheets and articles, and they have the 10 steps for mother-friendly care, and they have a, um, a piece that's on their website, questions you should ask when you're looking for a care provider. Okay. So those are the places to start. There's um, books, um, any book by Hensi Goer, G-O-E-R, I would highly recommend for educating yourself. The second thing is to choose your caregiver really, really carefully. So once you've educated yourself, that will help you um, identify a care provider that's right for you. And don't be afraid to switch if you go along and find out and it's not who you want. And the third thing is to bring a trained labor companion with you, a doula, as I was talking with before. Um, the, the research has shown over and over again that's the, the most, the single best thing you can do for yourself to have a good birth. 
And of course, your website is CF Midwifery. That mm-hmm. is uh, CF Citizens for Midwifery, which is mid and then w i f e r y dot org. And it's it's really a a, a very informative and uh, user friendly website. So uh, and and again, very well referenced, which uh, which is certainly important. I'm glad that you've got such an emphasis on that. And and then if, for people who are in California and want to find out more about how to find a midwife or find out more about midwives in California, um, CaliforniaMidwives.org is another website, and they have members listed if you're looking for a licensed midwife. And another website that has tons of information and historical information also is um, www.collegeofmidwives.org. So that's camidwives.org and College of Midwives. It's California spelled out, midwives. Oh, it's California spelled out. Sorry. Okay. CaliforniaMidwives.org or what was the other one? College of Midwives. Of midwives.org. And, of mm-hmm. course, you could always check out Citizens uh, for uh, Midwifery at cfmidwifery.org. And, uh, Susan, we are out of time, but I want to thank you so much for uh, really – uh, enlightening me because I, I don't know what what the heck's going on. Um, so if, uh, if people want to make sure there's going to be midwives around, they should get involved in their state or their community with other people who are working on um, promoting midwifery and making sure that midwives can practice. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning, and uh, we'll have to have to we'll have to have you on back soon. Oh, thank you so much. Th- I really appreciated it. Thank you. You take care. You too. Bye bye. And uh, we'll be back after this break to wrap up. It's KUCI's Justice or Just